0: message is we're gonna jump right in designed for greatness and I just realized I need my glasses here this will help so I wonder when you hear that title like what your initial reactions or thoughts to it are designed for greatness you know for some it might be yeah I know I'm pretty awesome yeah you know others it might be oh, I don't think so not me you, you gotta be kidding and still others it might be like eh, it kind of sounds like a lot of work not sure I'm really interested in that When you think about greatness, there's just this wide, wide range of ideas and opinions on the topic. I mean, what makes something or someone great? Um, Years ago, Tony the Tiger said, Frosted Flakes were great, right? What made them great? Ted Lasso says that Nate is great, right? Nate the Great. Um, I'm considered a great aunt, and I did nothing to make it to that status. My niece had a baby, And upon her having a baby, I went from just regular aunt to great aunt. I didn't have to do anything. It's pretty cool. So what makes someone great? Well, you know, I asked Pastor Randy this question, like, so not counting Jesus and not counting Pastor Pete, who would you say are the greatest men to ever live? He said Willis, Percy, and Eugene. You see, Willis was the inventor of the air conditioner, uh, Percy, the microwave, and Eugene, the remote control three really important things to Pastor Randy. So they're pretty great people in his opinion. Lucky for us, though, Jesus, Jesus some 2,000 years ago, he answered this very question for his disciples, even though they weren't answering the, asking the question. Because, you see, they thought they already knew all there was to know about this thing called greatness. And in the Gospel of Matthew in the uh, 20th chapter, it tells this interesting incident where The mother of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, mom comes to Jesus and she asks a favor. And the favor was this. She says, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. You see, just like many Jews of that day, this mother, she thought that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government of their day, that, that he came to actually make Israel great again. So mom wanted her boys to have positions of honor and greatness in this great kingdom that that Jesus was going to usher in, overthrowing the Roman government. So Jesus, he replied to her and he replied to her sons in this way. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Because you see, in just a short time, he was going to go to the cross and be crucified. And James and John, you know, uh, the ones who had sent mommy to talk to Jesus, they said, oh, yes, oh, yes, we are able. Now, the other disciples at this point, they become rather indignant. They're a little bit ticked off. You know, what are James and John and their mommy trying to pull here? So Jesus, he rallies them all together, circles them up, and he has one of his teaching moments, and it's on this topic of greatness. And he says this to them. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles was just anyone who wasn't a Jew, so they weren't following the one true living God. You know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them, and those in high positions, they they used their authority over them. He says, it must not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And with that, I, I can just imagine that the disciples were probably having one of those moments where they're like going, man, there he goes again, not making any sense at all. If we want to be great, we have to be servants. That's not how it works, Jesus. Everybody knows that being great is about having servants, not being a servant. But you see, Jesus was explaining to them, and he's, he's explaining to us today that our ideas about greatness are simply wrong. Matter of fact, they're upside down. And so we can either continue moving in the path that we think leads to greatness or we can adjust and we can start moving in a new direction even though it may not make a lot of sense at first. You see, it's kind of like a a movie, a really old movie, back from 1972 when I was a kid. Movie scared me to death, Poseidon Adventure. Should have been called the Poseidon Nightmare. And in it, there's this this big cruise ship that hits this huge storm, and the ship completely flips over. And air gets trapped and it causes this huge uh, ocean liner to just kind of float upside down. So in all the panic and the confusion, the passengers They tried to save themselves by following the steps to the top deck. The only problem, that was 100 feet under the water. They went the way that seemed right, but it led to death. The survivors were the few that they did what didn't make sense. They went the opposite way, following the steps that led to the hull of the ship, which actually was above the water where they were rescued. And, folks, that's just such a powerful image because so many of our ideas about life are like the Poseidon cruise liner. They're upside down. They're upside down. But if we will choose to follow God's ways, even when they don't make sense to us, we will discover and experience a kind of life that Jesus himself said that he came to give us. And it was this. In the Gospel of John, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. So many people today tend to have this kind of, again, mixed-up idea of how Christianity works, of what it's all about. See, a lot of people tend to think this. If we were to put it into a formula, God makes up random and weird stuff, plus I go along with it, and if I do, I get blessed. You know? In other words, if God wanted to, he could have said, if you want to be great, all you need to do is eat a bologna sandwich every day. He, he, it's, he's God. He can make up anything he wants, right? And I would be great because I love bologna sandwiches, especially a fried bologna sandwich. That's when you're really getting it, right? Simply because he's God and he can make up whatever rules he wants to make up. If you missed the last Bible Institute Pastor Randy did a few weeks ago, it's on our YouTube channel, and I so strongly encourage you to go watch that because in it he lays out so much for us about how God works. A big point he made that night was God's ways are rational. They make sense. They are not random. They are not arbitrary. When Jesus what he said about greatness it actually makes total sense because he was explaining how you and I are divinely designed. divinely designed and when we live according to our design, we experience, we experience a life that is absolutely to the fullest and the best that it possibly can be. So here's a much more accurate equation for what the Christian life is all about. God lovingly reveals truth to us. He reveals truth to us about himself, about ourselves, about life. Plus, I believe him. I believe what he says, so I trust him, and I follow those ways that he lays out. And it's then that I experience life to the full. Life to the full. When you and I live according to the way that we've been designed by a good and a loving creator, then we experience something that the scripture calls the life of God. The life of God. The, Pastor Randy shared a, a verse last week, and then He sat in my office this week and talked to me about it. And there's this little phrase tucked in this verse that is so easily overlooked and so easily missed, but it's so powerful, and it says it's from Ephesians, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, the way that they think is off. They're darkened in their understanding, and they are separated from what? The life of God. It doesn't say they're just separated from God, but they're separated from the life of God. What's he talking about? Because of their ignorance that is in them. They're just ignorant. They don't know any better. And why is that? Because they have hardened hearts. The life of God. The life of God, it's an inside thing. It's an inner experience. We experience the life of God as we begin to think the way that God thinks about life. As we see people and situations the same way that God sees them, as we feel the way that God feels about people and about life, we are divinely designed to experience the life of God, but it doesn't happen automatically. You see, we've got to want it, we've got to desire it, and then we've got to pursue it. So earlier, when I read what Jesus taught his disciples about what it means to be great, I actually left a little verse hanging off there. He he said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. But then he went on to say this, Just as, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Just as. Two simple little words that are so very important in helping us understand our divine design and this thing of experiencing the life of God. So so let's unpack a couple verses, okay? One of the most important verses in the Bible to help us understand ourselves and to understand life and how we've been designed is right up front, Genesis chapter one, where it tells us God created human beings in his own image. That's deep and that's powerful. Our Creator made us to be like Himself. You know, He created other living things, animals and so forth, birds and fish and all. None of them did He create to be like Himself with the kind of uh, capacity to experience life on the level that we do. With the, we have this capacity to experience and enjoy life the same way He does, to think the way He thinks, and to see the way He sees, and to feel the way He feels, to experience life the way He does. And then in the New Testament, to me, as a young Christian, when I read this, it was so incredibly powerful to me. It tells us something very important about this creator of ours. Listen to what it says. Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. In the version of the voice, it says, every detail was crafted through his design by his own hands and for his purposes. Folks, whenever we talk about our creator, we are talking about Jesus. The one who came to the earth some 2000 years ago, fully revealing his nature and his character, what he's like, fully demonstrating the depth of his love through his death on a cross, showing us that his love is unconditional, that his love is sacrificial. So when Jesus says, just as the Son of man did not come to be served but to serve, he could have easily said, just as your creator, did not come to be served, but to serve. Now let's let that one sink in. The greatest being in all the universe, the one with the intelligence and the one with the power to create everything, came to serve those he had created. I read this in uh, Bible.org, a really powerful statement. It was not in spite of his greatness, but because of his greatness that Jesus served. In the mind of Jesus, acts of mundane service were not inconsistent with authority and greatness, but rather a part of it. The creator serves created things, the things that he has created, the beings that he has created. The greater being serves the lesser beings, it's one of the most beautiful, most beautiful aspect, aspects of the, this thing we call the life of God. And if we stop and think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense, and it's something that we're quite familiar with. I mean, think about it. If the measure of greatness was getting served, then babies rule the earth. Right? Right? They're the great ones. Jesus would have said, if you want to be great, just be a big baby. Right? Right? But that's not the case. It's amazing when you think about it. We've been given this incredible ability to produce life, to create beings in our own image. And even though we are the greater being, the creator with the greater capacities than the baby, what do we do? We serve the one we gave life to. We feed them. We bathe them. We care for them. We nurture them. We cherish them. We protect them. We serve them. Not in spite of our greatness, but because we are the greater ones with greater capacities. And we love it, don't we? We experience an indescribable joy in serving them most of the time, (laughs) right? Now, for those folks like me who've never had children, we still understand this if we have pets, right? uh, Have I shown you my little leafy girl? A little leafy? She's precious to me. I'm the greater one, but I feed her. She doesn't feed me. You know, I rub her belly. She doesn't rub my belly. I pick up her poop. She's not pick up my poop. Never once. I am her master who serves her, right? One day, No joke, a couple years ago, I was picking up poop in my yard, cleaning up my yard on duty, duty, you know, and I'm in a townhouse, and so the neighbor was coming up the stairs, and she looks over the fence, and she's like, that's why I don't have dogs. I'm not going to be some dog slave picking up their poop. I'm like, she's right. That's what I am. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man, the Creator, did not come to be served, but to serve our creator not in spite of his greatness but because of his greatness he serves and it's a beautiful beautiful stunningly beautiful part of his character and he experiences indescribable joy in serving and we folks we are created in his image so we are created to serve we experience the life of god and an indescribable joy when we serve matter of fact. It is so integral but if, that if we choose not to serve, it is impossible for us to experience the life of God. But without serving, we will never know what it is to think the way he thinks. We will never know the way it feels to feel the way he feels because it is an integral part of our divine design. So now, just in case... Just in case there's somebody out there that you need a little evidence about this divine design thing, I I got something cool for you. I got six benefits of serving according to today's research, okay? Those who serve, they experience more happiness. Research shows that a part of our brain actually lights up when we serve others. Then it doles out feel-good chemicals like dopamine and serotonin that help us feel joy and delight. It also reduces stress. When we help others, our bodies releases a hormone called oxytocin, which buffers stress and helps us maintain social trust and tranquility. It will relieve pain. A study done by Pain Management Nursing reports that people's pain ratings dropped significantly after serving opportunities they were given. Longer lifespan, over 40 international studies confirmed that volunteering, serving actually adds years to your life. It lowers blood pressure. A study of psychology and aging found that adults over 50 who served were 40% less likely to have hypertension than those who didn't. And then it reduces mild depression. A study of alcoholics going through uh, AA points out that those who volunteered to help others were twice as likely to stay clean a year later, and their depression rates were correspondingly lower As well. Does anyone else think it's pretty cool when today's science catches up with what God said thousands of years ago about us? I love that. And I love that we have the capability in science today as they discover things, and it's like, well, that's what God's what God's Word said. Thousands of years ago, He already told us. We are divinely designed to serve. And it's our pathway to experiencing the life of God. Now the Apostle Paul, this is really cool because he takes this truth and he goes even deeper with it for us. You see, within the divine design of humanity, it's not just this broad kind of thing like, yeah, we're created to serve. God actually made it very personal for each one of us. He has given each one of his followers a divine purpose and a divine function. So The Apostle Paul talks about this divine purpose in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we are God's handiwork. In other versions, it says his workmanship or his masterpiece, the idea that that he's, he's the one who's done the creative work on us. He's put us together, created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, we could say that you and I, each one of us, we were made on purpose. For a purpose, we are each designed with a divine purpose. You see, our Creator—he had this very specific set of good works in mind for each one of us as He made us, as He formed us. So you've got a set of good works, and you've got a set of good works, and you've got a set—it sounds like Oprah, don't I? And you've got a set of good works. Only you, only you can do your set of good works. No one else can do this good works that God has planned for you to do. I can't do yours, you can't do mine. No one else can do them. Now isn't that fascinating when you think about it? Isn't it exciting to think about too? And doesn't it raise a ton of questions? I mean, good works that are just for me, well, what are they, and where are they, and when are they, and how do I find them, and how many do I have each day? Is it the same number each day? Does it change each day? And what if I miss one, or what if I miss two, or what if I miss 100? What then? It's a little overwhelming, right? But thankfully, thankfully, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a very simple approach to our day-to-day life in discovering and doing the good works that God has prepared for each of us to do. He says what we just need to do is simply develop the right mindset. And then we're not going to miss them. We're going to see our good works all over the place that he's planned in advance. He says this to the Philippians. He says simply this, do nothing from selfishness, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. It doesn't mean don't consider yourself unimportant. It just... Put others first. Consider others more important. Care about them as much as you care about yourselves. You know, we tend to just be like, let me think about me. No, care about them more. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Mindset, there it is. Well, what was Jesus' mindset? Jesus was equal with God. He was God. He is the creator. But Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact when he was on this planet. Instead, he made himself nothing He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. So instead of approaching life with that mindset that's all about, you know, what I want, what I need. What are you going to do for me? What have you done for me lately? Serve me. Instead of that, it's about thinking the way our creator thinks. What do others need for me? What can I do for someone else? How can I serve them? How can I bless them? It's simple. Doesn't mean it's easy, though. Doesn't mean it's easy. I'm going to add something. This service happened after second service. A gentleman came over to me, very upset, Uh, first-time attender, and um, he basically described that his marriage is falling apart. And he says, it's because everything you said. He said, I serve me. I never served her. And I thought, you know, when it comes to this thing called marriage, but it works with all relationships. You put two selfish people together. What are you doing for me? Well, what are you doing for me? What kind of a marriage do you end up with? Pretty lousy one, right? What if one is serving and and the other's taking? Eh, maybe a little bit better. But it's not balanced, it's not healthy. And it's still going to have a lot of problems. What if you put two people together who every day, what can I do for you today, honey? And the other one's going, well, what can I do for you? Totally focused on the other. What do you have? You have this beautiful, strong, and healthy marriage. So just, it makes sense, right? What Jesus is telling us, it makes sense in our relationships. If we're givers and servers, we're not going to miss out if we're in healthy relationships. And that's what God intends. So... The man just broke my heart, He, uh, big tall guy over there just bawling his eyes out. He says, because I wasn't serving her, I was all about me. There's a woman by the name of Cheryl Buckholder, she's a Christ follower and she was once the CEO of Papa's Louisiana Kitchen and uh, so she um, did this interview and, and it was recorded and uh, she talks about this mindset Listen to what she says. She says the Bible verse that's on my calendar every day is Philippians two three. It's the one we just read, because I haven't found one that's more paramount to how I want to lead. I'd like to want to lead my family, and in my work as well. All of life, not just part of my life. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I really, I think we missed. Can we go back? (laughs) I really like the choice of words around counting others more significant. Than yourselves. Again, others first. I believe that we're all born with an inner two-year-old, and we'd really like to be laying on the floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't get the candy bar we wanted. It's pretty hardwired that we're self-absorbed little people, and we learn to fake it well, but we're still pretty much that two-year-old on the inside. I find that biblical perspective really challenging in every aspect of my day, how I'm spending my time, the decisions that I make, to put them through a filter of whether I'm thinking about myself or I'm thinking about others. Powerful, right? It's all about a mindset, how you're approaching your day, how you're approaching every part of your day and every place of your day. Who would admit to having a little inner self-absorbed toddler inside of you? I think we all do, right? The truth is we all do a really great job of serving ourselves. I do, I do a really good job of putting myself first. I do a really good job of taking care of myself and my own needs, of protecting myself, of pursuing my own happiness. It just comes so easy and natural. It's like it's the default setting in my brain to serve myself. So, carrying out my divine purpose to do the good works that God has prepared each day for me means I'm going to have to fight the toddler in me. Fight the, put that toddler in the corner. You know what I'm saying? Time out. I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to have to go to battle. And, folks, it is so important, so important that we fight this battle against being so selfish because it's a pretty big deal. There's a pretty high price that we pay when we live to serve ourselves. One is relationally, like the gentleman I met, but there's something even more. You see, not only do our systems not function properly when we're being selfish instead of serving, but some really unpleasant words begin to characterize us. Words like this, we become uncaring, inconsiderate. Insensitive, impatient, critical, manipulative, harsh. You know, the image of our creator, it gets marred, it gets unrecognizable, it just gets buried under our selfish and our self-serving ways. And so we become very unattractive, not-so-great people. We're designed for serving others, first and foremost, not ourselves, ourselves. And that's why through serving others, we're not only healthier people, but we're changed. We're changed people. It's through serving that we are transformed into beautiful people, attractive people, really great people. You see, when we regularly do good works, we become good people. You know, when we regularly do kind things, we we become kind people people. When we do considerate things, we become considerate people. When we do thoughtful things, we become thoughtful people. When we do generous things, we become generous people. And when we do loving things, we become authentically loving people. We are changed, but it's only in the doing. It's in the serving. There's a woman named Deborah Barr. I had read her book, and she was once a commissioned officer in the Army, and she personified just the common stereotype of being just rigid and unfeeling, but then she comes to Christ. So she said that there was this annoying woman in her office who just drove her crazy with all her whining and all her complaining, so her way of dealing with this, I'm just going to avoid this woman. You know, how many, that's what we do. I'm just going to avoid her. But then again, she's a new follower of Christ and she learns about serving others. And and so so she opened herself up and and she said she began to serve this woman. She served her by listening to her and, and by praying with her. And she wrote in her journal one day, I feel like God has rearranged my DNA and it is the most incredible feeling. She was experiencing the life of God. Thinking the way God thinks, feeling the way God feels. So, as we serve others, it, folks, it's as if our DNA just gets rearranged in this new version of ourselves. It emerges in the image of our Creator. It just kind of breaks through and it shines through, and we become great people bearing our Creator's image and experiencing the life of God. Along with our divine purpose. Our creator has also des- designed each of us with a divine function as well. You see, when Jesus was on the planet, he said this to his followers at one point. He says, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I'm going to build my church. Well, what was he talking about? Was he talking about a building, a structure? No, not at all. The original Greek word for church, it- it's ecclesia, and, and it's, actually re- it's actually referring to this community of people. Jesus was talking about all the people who would return to him and trust, come back into a trusting relationship with him and choose to follow him. That's his church. So let's look closer what scripture then tells us about this church that Jesus is building. In Colossians, it says, Christ is the head of the church. Now, if we just stop there, it kind of sounds like, okay, he's like the head of the organization, right? The CEO of the organization. But it doesn't just stop there. It says, which is the church, which is his body. That's not an organization. The church is not a religious organization. And I'll bet you many of you have had experiences where that's what it seems like it is or that's what you were taught. It is not a religious organization. It is a spiritual living organization. Organism. It's an organism. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave up his physical body on a cross. But his physical body lives on today through his people, his church. His body is alive today. His church is alive. So in 1 Corinthians 12 27, that is good, isn't it? That's truth. That's truth right there. So look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, now you, you are the body of Christ. Because remember, it's his followers. It's the people who have chosen to trust and follow him. And it says, and each one of you is a part of it. Now let's take this idea of a body, okay? I've got one body, but my one body is made up of tons of different parts. Some of them you can see ears and hands and eyes. You have these outer parts. But then I've got all these inner parts, intestines and a liver and a heart and all this stuff going on. All my parts, each one of them have a unique function. They're all doing different things, but each of their functions are very important for my one body to live out my one life. And you don't see all the things that my different parts are doing, you just see me as one. My one body, living my one life. We the church are the body. Each one of us is a part of it, which means each one of us has a divine function to carry out. An image for me, a modern-day image of this that I think helps so much, is an image of a marching band. I mean, let's think about this. Marching bands are just fascinating when you think about it. In a marching band, you have all these different sections of the band playing their part of the musical score, right? you got a brass section, you got percussion, you've got woodwinds. But then within each of those sections, you've got a whole bunch of people, a large number of people, and each one of them are playing their own instrument, and at the same time, they're moving. You know, it's not like an orchestra. These marching bands, they're moving, and each person is following a pattern that was developed just for them. No one else can follow their pattern because no one else can be at their spot on the field. You know, this is my spot. So I'm playing my instrument. I'm doing my movement. I've been assigned. Then when you put it all together, what do we have one band. We've got one sound, one beautiful movement. It's extraordinary. And what an image. What an image for the church that Jesus is still building today. One church. One sound, one movement. Each of us, each of us who have put our faith in Christ and we call FCF Church our home, we have a divine function in his body, in his band, in this band. As we each play our part, we create something beautiful, something magnificent altogether, something so cool, something that touches the hearts and impacts the lives of so many people, both now and for all eternity. So I I wanna give you a little bit of picture here of the FCF band, just in case you've not been familiar with this, and if this was your first time here at FCF, it's a great example. A guest shows up, they arrive on this beautiful campus that we have, isn't it? God has blessed us so much. It's so beautiful. Because there are about 70 volunteers, 70 servants, who make up what we call our operations teams, that section of the band that are all about just kind of caring for the facility overall. And then as someone enters in, they just meet and they're greeted and they're assisted and all by just these wonderful, warm and friendly people. They're in the lobby, they're in the coffee area, you know, they're uh, here in the auditorium, in our store, and that's about 120 people. That's the guest services teams that Danny was talking about. So we got like maybe eight, 10 teams, about 120 people that make up that section of the FCF band. And then when they go back and they drop their kids off in the nurseries and in the kids' class and our youth program, that's about another 150 servants, people serving our kids and our youth, that section of the band. And then as you come into the auditorium, actually experience this service here in the auditorium, that's because there's about 120 people serving on the various teams that make up our worship and production teams, making this Sunday experience happen. And all of that is just on Sundays. That doesn't even include the other 140 volunteers that serve in the section of band called our care ministry, how we can meet the needs of people in our church when they're struggling. How about the 80 volunteers who serve in groups ministry and then the other 50 volunteers that serve in our marriage ministry, helping build strong and healthy marriages? It's our band. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. Thank you, all of you for fulfilling your divine function. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. God has created you for a divine function in his body, in his church. Are you fulfilling your function? Are you playing your part? If not, you can change that today. You can take steps today to change that. You are designed for greatness because when Christ created you. He uniquely designed you with your own divine purpose and your own divine function. And he did this because he wants you and me to experience the life of God, to think the way he thinks, to feel the way he feels, to love the way he loves, to live the way he lives. You know why? You know why? Because that's what the eternal kingdom to come is all about, folks. The eternal kingdom that God is preparing for us, it's all about serving. Now, you see, I I think, again, we tend to think about heaven in these kind of mixed up ways. We think rather selfishly about heaven. We think about how great it's going to be for me because I'm going to get to do what I want all the time. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be able to eat chocolate chip cookies and not get fat. I'm going to be able to lay on the beach all day and just do nothing. We just think all about me, 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 you know, how great heaven's going to be for me. But the eternal kingdom isn't about me just getting my way or sitting on my butt doing nothing. It's about an active community of servants doing good works forever and ever and ever. A community of great servants who are going to make maximum, maximum effort every day to bless and serve each other. No hint of selfishness. Will exist in the eternal kingdom to come. And it's all because everyone is a servant. Because everyone is a servant, the eternal kingdom will be a completely safe and harmonious place, the best place ever. Everyone will be safe. Everyone will be valued. Everyone will be respected. Everyone will be appreciated. Everyone will be wanted all the time. Everyone will be cared for and immersed in loving relationship. All the time. Surrounded by people fully devoted to them. And as much as you serve and bless others, they in turn will serve and bless you. This eternal kingdom, it's about experiencing and enjoying life on the level that God himself does. All because we all serve all the time for all eternity. But until then, until that kingdom comes, you and I have got some practice and some preparation, right? It's time to practice, it's time to prepare. So I hope as we close out, I'm just gonna give you two action steps that I hope that you'll consider taking. And the first one is I hope as we leave here all today that we will fight the toddler, right? Fight the toddler inside of us so that we can fulfill our divine purpose. And then if you're not already, I hope today you'll take a step to join the band so that you can fulfill your divine function in the body of Christ. And so that all of us, all of us can experience the life of God. Let's pray, folks. Lord, how we thank you. Thank you for your word that gives us this truth about ourselves, about your church, about... Your purposes and then our purposes and our function. God, it's an amazing thing that you've made us in your image and that you have such, such grand plans for us. So Lord, may we step into that. I pray that every single person here today, we take steps to fulfill our divine purpose and to fulfill our divine function as well. Because your church, your church is still alive. Thank you that we are a part of it in Jesus name. Amen.